Welcome, everyone, to episode 154 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Shelton, and on this week's episode, we're talking about DC and Warner Brothers' second bite at that Task Force X Apple with James Gunn's version, The Suicide Squad. With me today, as always, I have my co-host, Scott Harvey. Scott, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Scott. Uh, It's been another movie-packed weekend. I upped the ante even further from last weekend when I did a double feature in one day and i went to three movies this weekend uh, i saw this one on friday um yesterday i drove out to chapel hill to see annette the leos carrick's musical um and today i uh hopped in with the boomers and caught a, a mid-afternoon screening of stillwater uh the new tom mccarthy film. Were, were there actually a bunch of boomers in there oh yeah oh yeah oh god bless. Uh, the target the target demo for the movie was hit for sure i'll i'll, um, I'll be seeing this film likely in mason ohio which is a suburb of cincinnati next week i expect a full crowd <laughs> yeah that's a, it'll be a good one to see with your mom i know you're gonna be with your mom so it'll be a, yeah. it'll be a good one to go see with her but um i will not uh spoil my thoughts on the latter two films until the end of the episode so you'll, you'll have to stay tuned until the end of the episode um when we typically talk about what else we've seen I, to know I, what i, do I love think the arc. Of, uh, the arc of the podcast of at one point having the like what else we watched section on the podcast for for OG listeners back in the day to very recently coming back around to a very impromptu discussion of what else we've been watching. It feels natural. Yeah, absolutely. But um, yeah, stay tuned to the end of the program to hear what I thought about Annette and uh, Stillwater. But yeah. Um, yeah, so that was that was basically my weekend, Scott. Uh, it was it was a good one. Um, next weekend, I'm going to be. Uh, doing some other stuff uh, with going to, I'm going to Charlotte on Saturday and then Sunday I'm going to go to the final round of the PGA tournament, which is just up the road in Greensboro. Um, So big Greensboro weekend because you're going to see nine days in Greensboro, apparently. Potentially. Yeah. But that might be, that might be my Friday night. Um, But yeah, I was going to say, I'm not, I I won't be able to up my total of movies next weekend because I, I do have some other stuff going on, but that's not necessarily a bad thing for sure. Yeah, I you know I I heard you know I heard you whisper into the ether at some point, triple feature, and I'm like, why not? I'll do it too. So I went and saw the apartment. Um, you know, very very recent film, 2020, oh, 2021 yeah. the apartment, um, at a sort of like grand reopening thing at the Paris Theater, which is the th- film the theater that Netflix owns in New York City. Um, they were doing a an exhibition of the 40 year old version, which is Rada Blanks. Uh, debut film which debuted i think at sundance in 2020 and was acquired by netflix and now it's being finally shown in in theaters here in new york city but alongside that they're doing a repertory um screening of of a list of movies that she provided so you know she's curating a, a week of movies for them and so i saw the apartment for the first time incredible movie great film wonderful movie you will really uh, you will really adore it whenever you get around to watching it scott i'm i'm very confident I may be watching it sooner rather than later. Um, 
for trivia purposes. But yeah, I mean, Billy Wilder has made three five-star films that I've seen, and I've only seen a few of his movies, but three of those would be five-star movies, in my opinion, with Sunset Boulevard, Double Indemnity, and Witness for the Prosecution. So, yeah. Yeah, just a, a, one of those kind of, I think I said this in my letterbox review. I guess I'm spoiling one of my movies that I saw up front, but the kind of movie that you can just watch forever, probably. It's just very, very good characters, very that's good how, performances. That's how great classic films could feel in general. Um, yeah. You know, when, you, when you're watching, like, that's how I felt when I watched Casablanca in theaters a yeah. few months back. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking forward to going to the Paris more often because Netflix movies, I like quite a few of them and I'd love to see them in a theater. So I'm hoping that they do quite a few of those. But then I also saw Quantum of Solace for our ongoing 007 series. And then, well, that wasn't in a theater, I suppose. But then The Green Knight last night and nine days earlier today. And I'll talk about those two movies at the end of the podcast as well. But we've talked a lot about the uh, the other movies we saw. But we also did both see a movie on Friday night, which we have yet to discuss. Um, so why don't we dive in now? Our topic today is, of course, uh, the second attempt at making a Suicide Squad movie happen. And if you're ever confused about which movie is which, just remember this version is the version. Directed by the cancelled turn uncancelled James Gunn, the Suicide Squad picks up its continuity at an unclear point in time after the last few movies in the tangentially related DCEU timeline at this point. The fact that it's hard to pin it down is you know, probably for the best. We can discuss that maybe later. A whole bunch of bad guys are in prison, in some cases in prison again, including Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn. And they've been given the option, or maybe more accurately told, to carry out a black ops mission for the U.S. government in exchange for 10 years off their current prison sentences. Not surprisingly, the task is not so simple, as the squad is instructed to infiltrate the South American island nation of Corto Maltese after its government is overthrown by a regime with a more anti-American flavor than its former rulers. Once on the island, all the team has to do is break into Jotunheim, the top secret base for a military experiment mysteriously called project starfish scott if i talk at all any more about the movie i think i'm going to start spoiling things because it really does drop you in the thick of it did this second outing with task force x prove more fruitful and fun-filled than david ayer's take back in 2016 or did this ragtag group of villains and anti-heroes just make you wish amanda waller would press their buttons uh, yeah, Scott. I mean, I've been on record and you can go back to listening to us talk about other DC films of saying that, you know, with the way that their extended universe kind of crashed and burned, um, the thing for them to do is to stop trying to build it out and just, you know, make good one-off movies. Um, they did it with Birds of Prey, in my opinion, and in my opinion, they've done it again with The Suicide Squad. This is a good movie. It is not a great movie. Um, it does have uh, some some faults, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but um, it, it is it is a good movie. And for DC, um, you know, in recent times, that feels like a home run. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that's that's what I would start off by saying. I think um, it has a sense of humor about it, which you probably are able to pick up on the trailers. It's pretty crude. It's pretty R rated. Um, it, it does at times feel like maybe going for a slightly Deadpoolish sense of humor, um, but it wasn't as assaulting as the humor in Deadpool is at times. Um, well, you like Deadpool too quite a lot. I like Deadpool too quite a lot because I think it dialed it back a little bit. But yeah, um, the fair. this movie, the humor doesn't really all work for me because again, that's not really my brand of humor. Like yeah. maybe 20 percent of the humor actually worked for me. 
but I still just had a fun time. I think, um, you know, overall, like the movie has style to boot. And I, I feel like I've been saying this a little bit, a lot, I mean, a lot recently, but, um, you know, we've just seen some movies this summer, blockbuster movies that have just felt really like going through the motions. Um, and so I think I, I'm willing to give this, you know, some some benefit of the doubt and some extra credit, I guess, for obviously being something um, that is out of the mind of its director and um, out of the imagination of its director to go to go even further than that. And it's clear that like DC is maybe a little bit wary after what happened with Zack Snyder and Justice League. And um, they're they're giving their directors free reign, at least in, in this sense, they're really giving James Gunn free reign because there's some really like bizarre imagery and stuff in this movie like the the final battle i'm not going to spoil anything but like the what they are battling the way they are battling it um it's very creative it feel it does feel like it is out of a comic book um you know more so than things in comic book movies nowadays often feel um and i i appreciate that because i like when comic book movies are comic booky um and this movie does feel like that at times i think the performances are generally pretty good i mean i love margot robbie as harley quinn um i think you know she's the best part of this dc again it's not really an extended universe anymore but she's the best part of, of dc movies in recent years even in the original suicide squad which obviously is a very bad film um she was you know the highlight of that she was the best part of that and despite the fact that you know they're adding a bunch of new characters and um actors who i who i all enjoyed for the most part i i still think she's the the highlight here i think she just bring is is very delightful has this really sort of anarchic spirit about her character but also has some heart like this this character has heart um you know there there's some stuff that happens talking about her and her like history with relationships or whatever that like has more heart than you would expect and i think the movie in general has maybe more heart than you would expect. I'm not going to say that I was like moved or like teared up or anything, but um, you know, I, I enjoy when movies like this can try, can hit you on an emotional level um, beyond, you know, get just the, the sensory pleasures of a blockbuster like this. So um, I'm positive on the movie, Scott. I think people have really ha have been re have really been enjoying it from what I can tell. And it's easy to see why it's a really fun movie. Um, you know, the humor, I think, w did seem to be working well for most people in the theater, which is a good sign because they were probably, again, more the target audience for the humor. Uh, but the fact that, I mean, I think it's a big plus for the movie, the fact that even though that, didn't, that you know, major element of the movie didn't work for me, I still had a really fun time and think, you know, it, it was, it's, it's a well-made movie. And above all, it is an imaginative movie. It is a fresh movie. Um, and in this particular summer that feels like it's been the exception maybe more than the rule so i i liked the movie a lot yeah i think the first thing that comes to mind when i think of anything james gunn is that it does ooze style flair however you want to think about it right like the guy is creative sometimes to a fault you know he's almost doing some so much different he's trying to throw so much different stuff at the wall to see what sticks and, and what, what shakes out is that it, it does end up being a bit messy, but messy in, in like a charming way, right? Like it's, it's nice that he's trying so much um, because he's not, it's not one of those efforts. That's like 
oh, I'm just going to try to be so smart and throw everything and like everyone's going to love my movie because everything's there, right? It, it is like, I'm just going to do some wild stuff and like it all fits together in a way, but it's not probably all going to work for every person. And the zaniness of that, I really appreciate it. It really does. I think the way that you described it, I hadn't thought about it like this, but I like that a lot that like that more so than almost any other, certainly any other movie in the DCE, like this thing feels like it, it was ripped off the pages of a comic book. The way the colors, the flair, the the zaniness, like I was saying, it feels like someone ripped this out of a campy comic book from, you know, in, in certain number of decades ago. And I thought that was cool. I also liked that they didn't waste any time getting, getting me into it. They didn't, you know, try to overload you with some exposition about why people are going on this mission. Like they just kind of assumed that either A, you remember what the premise of a Suicide Squad movie was from five years ago or B you didn't care, which is probably a perfect summary of all of it. Um, I thought that that was really, really well done to drop you right in. And um, you know, the the head count adds up pretty quickly, which is something that I, that I appreciated. I think it set a tone for the film that I'm not sure it ultimately followed through on. It's getting a lot. Of, I feel like it's getting a lot of credit for, for making, making there be real stakes. But I'm not really sure there really was real stakes in this film. Um, guys, they're not going to kill off Harley Quinn. I'm sorry to spoil it. More, they're not going to kill Margot so Robbie. Than, more so than freaking Jungle Cruise trying to make us think that The Rock was dead. I'll say that at least. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, if if Jungle Cruise is the bar, then we've cleared it <laughs> for sure. It's just the most recent movie we talked about. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I I get you. But look, the the main characters, like the main 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 character, maybe maybe like one exception, they're not going to die. Like. Like the real main characters are not going to die, and you know I was wrong in one case. We'll yeah, talk about that later. One does. So. One one does, and hey, it, it hit me in the feels a little bit. But if you had to, if you had to put a gun to my head and told me I had to pick one of the main characters to die, probably would have been that one, sadly. But anyway, talk about that later. Uh, to give a credit where credit is due, you know we've talked at great length about movies that feel like they can get needle drops, or directors that feel like they can get a needle drop right. I'm not saying James Gunn did it every single time like he successfully did it every single time but at least he got at least you know he got at least one correct where it feels like every movie we talked about recently where this was the case cannot get a needle drop right yeah i will say it did the opening needle drop of Folsom prison blues does feel very on the nose when you know it's opening on a person in prison that is playing Folsom prison blues i i, I did I roll that's my kind eyes of the point <laughs> but yeah, well, it's not a good point, is what I'm saying. It's just, it's, it's kind of, it's very on the nose. But would you prefer uh, Teen Spirit, Scott? <laughs> would I prefer what? Oh, this that slowed down version of Smells Like Teen Spirit. Uh, yeah, God no. That they, they, they <laughs> you know, they. I I realized after we reviewed Black Widow, we didn't we didn't even talk about that. But I mean, that was just no. We did, bad. didn't we? I don't think I thought you mentioned, mentioned it. it on the podcast, but oh, anyway, really? Bummer. The fact okay. that they used the slowed down version. Not, not only did they use the slowed down version, but they didn't even use the Tori Amos version, which is actually better than the original version of Smells Like Teen Spirit. But I digress. Point is, the needle drops are, yeah, mostly good. But that opening one, I was like, oh, this is where Zack Snyder's getting his executive uh, producer, producer credit, credit yeah. right here is that he's he put this, you know, in the same way that he had Zombie closing out Army of the Dead. So, yeah. Uh, funny, funny man, Zack Snyder. Uh, yeah, look, I, the action's pretty good. I mean, it's about what do you expect? It is this stylish, flared up action sequences with cool weapons that feels like it could 
totally be out of the Guardians of the Galaxy movies that made Gunn more famous, really catapulted him onto the main stage of of these sort of franchise making films. But yeah, the humor again, I mean, I guess I'm more this humor is probably more up my alley than it is yours. But even for me, it feels like I I don't know. I I said this to you after the after I saw it, but like I feel like I kind of cursed myself a little bit having watched the Harley Quinn TV show. And that that show is just like flat out funnier. Like every character is funnier in that show, um, top to bottom. Not granted, yeah, not I'm all of them are from what I've seen. Yeah, not all of them are, of course, in um, the Suicide Squad. But the two that are Harley Quinn and King Shark, way funnier in Harley in the Harley Quinn animated show. Um, and that's not James Gunn's fault, but it is a reality uh, when both both of those prop like both of those you know pieces of of media are on HBO Max and can easily be consumed. But that's neither, again, not really here nor there, but it was impossible not to compare the two, I think, when I was watching it, just because I really do love those first two seasons of Harley Quinn that uh, I think they both came out last year. But, Scott, I guess we can jump into more of the characters now. There are a lot. Um, before we get into spoilers about which ones last longer than others <laughs> that are more meaningful to talk about, uh, did, let's start with the supporting cast. Who from the supporting cast do you think stood out the most in whether in their brief or elongated appearances. Yeah, I mean, I think, well, so who are we considering to be the supporting cast here, I guess, is the question. Anybody in the Suicide Squad plus Amanda Waller. Okay. Lip, so, I mean, the villains, too. I guess I guess the thinker. So who's the main cast, then? If that, if... Oh, I mean, okay, yes. We're, ta- we're taking Idris Elba, Margot Robbie, and... Okay. Yeah, we'll take those two off the table. I that think was my question. Yeah, okay. That, yeah, I think yeah. that's fair. Yeah, um, yeah supporting cast-wise, I don't know. I feel like I, I did like, uh, I think her name is Daniela Melchior, who yeah. plays uh, Rat, Rat Catcher, Catcher 2. two. Um, that, I, th- I thought she was good. She added some of the heart of the movie, right, I think. Like, sure. um, some of her stuff with Idris Elba, trying to force him to confront his fear of rats and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, yeah, and her sort of she's she's a little more kindly towards like King Shark in the beginning that kind of I think mellows him out um, and stops him from trying to to eat. I forget who is it that he, he who it is that he tries to eat in the middle of the night, but her um, she, he tries to eat her. It is her. Night. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is her. Um, so I think she's good, and she's you know obviously somebody that we haven't seen before. So um, that's cool to see. Um, you know, elsewhere I think. Maybe some of the performances here don't hit as much for me. Like uh, John Cena, I think John Cena. Like I don't think he's as bad as some people have suggested, but I do think I I, I do think that he goes off the rails a little bit towards the end of the movie. His performance doesn't. Yeah. I like I like towards the beginning when he is like being like so self serious or whatever, and like it's it's clearly like being sort of played in a tongue in cheek manner because everything else that's going on around him is chaotic and everybody else is kind of colorful characters and he's just like kind of this gung-ho like you know american hero type guy again who's like has this central contradiction in his character that his name is peacemaker and the way he's like making peace is just by killing everyone um so that that part i liked but then towards the end i think his performance is a little wooden david desmalchian you know a lot of people have really praised his performance as polka dot man and i think he's good but i don't know this character to me just felt like a little familiar 
like not in the sense that we've seen another super villain who throws polka dots as his you know central power but like the style of humor like where like you know everyone else will be bantering and he's like quiet and then all of a sudden he just comes in and says something like really dark or whatever that is just like you know off off kilter like with what everyone else has been saying and it's like played for laughs I feel like we've just seen that before, right? Like, I just think that that style of humor or whatever is is a little bit played out. So I didn't find him as funny or like as, you know, fresh as some people seem to be as Polka Dot Man. But I think he does a good job. And then Sylvester Stallone, you know, this is not my favorite character for sure. If I had to kill somebody off, it would have been King Shark. Um, just because I think it's obviously a very intentionally dumbed down character. And I don't really find that funny or i mean it's almost a little bit mean-spirited at times the way that like you know he just he can't even really verbalize his thoughts and it's obviously being played for laughs um so i thought know, that was just I, sylvester stallone <laughs> yeah well, I mean, maybe there's a little bit of meta-ness about it too the fact yeah. that it's you know sylvester stallone and he has that sort of way of speaking but um so yeah it sounds like i'm, I'm being sort of overly negative but Again, I think when they're all together, there's a nice dynamic and everything going. It's just yeah. like individually, some of these characters are not as strong as others. Um, I don't know if there's anyone that I'm really forgetting, but villain-wise... Well, Flag, you again, can talk about Rick Flag. Well, of course, yeah. Yeah, Joel Kinnaman. I think he does a good job. Um, I, you know, I'm a fan of his from when he was back on The Killing, which was yeah. kind of like his breakthrough role on AMC. And I remember watching The Killing and thinking, oh, this guy's great. Like, he's really going to go places. Hasn't really happened for him, but I think yeah. this is, you know, the best role that he's gotten, the best movie that he's gotten to have a, a lead role in. I guess he, what he was, he played RoboCop in the RoboCop remake, but I don't think anyone really likes that movie. Um, yeah, I mean, he's been very, well, very highly praised for the second season of For All Mankind, which is one of Apple TV Plus's okay. premiere shows. Like, there's like a, I don't know if he ended up getting nominated for anything, but he certainly got that. That's the second show of that season has been very highly praised. Yeah. Um, and I think he does a really good job um, in in his role as sort of the de facto leader in a, in a way of this uh, of this group. So I, I thought his performance was solid. And yeah, you know, some of the people who pop up in the beginning are fun. Like, um, you know, Jai Courtney is, you know, get, gets some pretty fun scenes as Captain Boomerang and um, Pete Davidson. And uh, yeah, I mean, Nathan Fillion. You know, there's some fun cameos. Yeah, Nathan Fillion. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, the supporting cast is, is a little bit all over the map as you would expect, but there's more good than there is bad, I would say. Yeah. I think, uh, if we're talking about people who, I guess, I, I guess we've kind of indicated who gets killed off early by who we've talked about already. So I guess there's some spoilers for you. Um, but I, you know, I, I got into this movie and the more that I've been thinking about this is that guys, Weasel is just such an abomination of a character just like utter abomination <laughs> yeah. of a character thank god they killed him off in the first five minutes of the movie i did not have to endure looking at this cgi monstrosity with sean gunn playing like the the cgi character like god damn this thing is just atrocious <laughs> just awful 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 stuff Night nightmare stuff honestly so you look like you want to say yeah, something it it's no, it's it's pretty bad. I, I, I was gonna say I did like Sean Gunn's brief, like, yeah, the human appearance later in the yeah. prison. But uh, yeah, that was I mean, funny. It, it's not a good character. You know what I'm going to say? I I always feel 
that way about characters like this but yeah it's but, it's but this thing is like designed to to be just like deeply deeply upsetting i feel i feel yeah. like well and from what i can tell it has achieved that desired goal because everyone seems to be talking about uh that character. can you imagine if that if if he was in the movie for two hours oh no my Lord. I, I don't think anyone could or would imagine that that's why they do what they do you know? yeah, yeah yeah anyway um to get back to the supporting cast Scott, you, you're talking about like you know maybe you're a little bit more negative on on some of the on some of the main supporting cast if you want to call them that, John Cena, um, David Desmalkian's character, etc. And I think you're like, but it kind of makes up for it because when they're all together, it kind of works. And I think mm-hmm. a huge part of that, which we'll we'll talk more about in a second, is like Idris Elba, because he is. I mean, Margot Robbie is doing her own thing for a big chunk of this movie. They do eventually reunite later on, but like I feel like Idris Elba is the glue that. I don't know. Will Smith couldn't quite pull together because the other one was just such a, such an atrocity for production. Will not Smith Will could, Smith's fault. No, I'm not blaming Will Smith, but like he couldn't pull it together. And in this case, Idris Elba can pull it together because the parts fit better together. Maybe is a better way to phrase it. Uh, yeah, I would say I think that in Suicide Squad, I enjoy like the leader of the group. If you again, it's kind of up in the air who that is, but if we want to say it's Idris Elba. I enjoy him more than in Guardians of the Galaxy than I enjoy like Star-Lord, but I enjoy the supporting characters in Guardians of the Galaxy, like the Draxes, the Rockets, the Groots. Like I enjoy them more than I do probably the supporting characters in this movie. Yeah, I mean, this this character like kind of needs a rocket, in my opinion, as much as I'm loath to praise Bradley Cooper and things that aren't a star is born. Weasel should have made it. That's what you're saying. No, hell <laughs> Weasel no. Weasel could have been I'm not saying that, that's for sure. Um, oh, well, Jesus. Well, Shark could have been a type of and he, he is that been, in Harley Quinn. He is yeah, that. He in could Harley have been Quinn. a type of like even like a Drax like character almost. I feel like, but he could. Yeah, he could have been. Look, I'm not saying the show should have been Harley Quinn, but like that show is real good. <laughs> like they should have yeah. just made it. Made the, they should have just ripped Ron that character. Lunches, I think is King Shark. And sure, why not? It's show, just a voice yeah. role. Who cares if it's sliced alone or not? Make it goofy. I don't care. Yeah. Um, because the the character is just very goofy in, in Harley Quinn. It's not. Mm-hmm. He's not like, you know, a, a an a, an idiot who can barely speak English um like he is in this movie basically but look i i think that the the squadness of it all right really works and i think idris elba is a big part of that but in terms of the supporting cast i really do think daniela melchior is just such a huge part of it i think this sort of tenderness that she brings to this group and it's like honestly not even super clear like why she's in prison i mean she like robbed a bank with some rats but like why is she in this like high security um like prison with all these people who are just like stone cold killers uh, listen hilarious if you ask me if you ask me anyone who is that intimate with rats should be put in prison yeah look i mean honestly if your father is taika waititi you probably should be put in prison but that's neither here nor there okay that one didn't get a reaction so maybe i'll cut that joke for the podcast i did i did not i did not yeah, sorry but, i didn't you know yeah bust out laughing for the listeners but your point is taken yeah and i guess we've talked about taika waititi enough on on this podcast in previous episodes about how he's yeah he's high on his own supply i said to you he's becoming like you know some people react in this way to lin-manuel miranda nowadays like when he pops up in summer of soul or even when he pops up in in the heights right like in his small sort of cameo paragua man paragua man but uh you know it's like they just like are taken aback or like shook whenever all of a sudden there's a surprise Lynn Manuel Miranda appearance. That's how I feel about um, Taika Waititi now, especially because he was in what two movies that came out this weekend because he's also in Free Guy. Well, um, Free, Free and, Guy's next weekend, but yeah. 
I thought it already came out. Yeah, you're right. It is next weekend. Yeah. But yeah, he, he whenever he pops up in that trailer, which I've now seen a thousand times, um, yeah. I'm like, I, I feel the same way of like, oh, why is this a thing? Yeah, I, I don't fully understand why people get so mad about Lin-Manuel Miranda being in things. But if if that is the right comparison, then I am mad when I do Taekwondo in things <laughs> these days. So it like, it doesn't upset me, but I'm just like, dude, why? Why are, why are we feeding this guy's ego so much? Right. The guy does not need it. <laughs> um, He's already in a throuple with whoever it is. Yeah, that, Rita Ora and Tessa Thompson. Is that who it is? Is it Rita Ora? That wasn't who it was, surely. That, that wasn't who it was? I thought it was. I thought that was who it was. I can't remember. Maybe it was. Uh, okay, hold on. <laughs> I'm looking this up now. Yeah, it's totally Rita Ora. <laughs> okay, really, sorry. Yeah. I just didn't realize she had been relevant in a long time. Well, yeah, I mean... Who's making who relevant these days? Who even knows? Uh, anyway, supporting cast of Suicide Squad. Uh, Daniela Melchior is great in this movie. She's probably the person who stands out the most in the cast, especially considering she's done, like, I don't know, nothing besides this. This is, like, her first major film role ever, and I feel like there's just, like, a lot of heart in this character. And honestly, that notion it feels like the main difference, yes, of course, we have the James Gunn style that David Ayer lacks. I mean, the the 2016 Suicide Squad feels like it was ripped straight out of the... I'm like, if you told me Zack Snyder directed that thing, I would have believed you. I mean, the thing yeah. is just flavor-wise exactly the same um, as Batman versus Superman, Justice League, whatever. But this one, obviously, it has the flair. It has the charm. It has the the charisma, honestly, that Suicide Squad in 2016 did not. But it... And part of a huge reason to that is just, like, it has characters that you care about, right? Like, it was even hard, to, I feel like, to care about Harley Quinn in 2016 suicide squad. Cause she's just like around all these people. Like you just don't even, you don't care about any yeah. of them. Like they all could have died and it wouldn't have mattered. It wouldn't have mattered at all to me. Um, and this one, yes, maybe we'll talk about how much stakes there really are in the film, but like you cared about all these characters, um, whether you liked them, whether you like wanted them to die, right. Whether you wanted them to survive. Um, I think it varies character to character, but like, you're, you are really invested in them. And, even if some of the emotional payout doesn't always um, come through with all the characters in certain ways, I do think that there's a lot to care. There's like a lot to be invested in, in this film. And and that is simply something that DC movies have just been brutally lacking in, in general, but specifically for a film like suicide squad back in 2016 was just horribly stood out for having so many characters and not caring about a single one of them. And talking about Harley, like they do the I, I like what what he does here with sort of letting her go off and do her own thing for a lot of the movie. Right. Because again, she's a one woman show. She, I think she is the, the best character, the best performance like. And I think James Gunn probably realizes that, too. So he realizes, you know, if there's anyone who could sustain their own sort of narrative in this movie, while there's also all this team up stuff going on, it's her. And, you know, they're able to build this character out more. Because, you know, you would hope that Ish. this character is, yeah, you, you would hope that this character is going to continue to be a, a mainstay of, of, you know, DC films in the coming years. I so. mean, I think she's the only guaranteed mainstay right now. And I, I think that DC would pay Margot Robbie and probably already is paying Margot Robbie a truckload of money uh, to keep her involved in these things. But yeah, why don't we go ahead and talk about the main cast? I mean, it is, I, I mean, I do think Idris Elba is the leader of the group, quote unquote. Um, along with Rick Flag, but mm -hmm. Margot Robbie, Harley Quinn, she is the main the main supporting show. If if yeah, and that, by that by that function, making her I think one of the leads of the film. 
yeah no she's you know she's fantastic like i said up front i love like the um you know sort of dastardly anarchic spirit of this character but you know the the stuff that sort of happens with her and like she has like a one day affair with like this dude the president um, yeah yeah and it's like you know it's kind of played for laughs a little bit but she also gets this sort of monologue about how yeah i always choose you know the the worst men for myself and all this stuff um you know obviously referring back to her relationship with the joker as well um and i yeah i think it's some good you know sort of it's a good character moment like again it makes you um care about this character which again there's it's it's a tough line to walk because she is still a villain um but anti-hero you know, i think at this point yeah, but, and, uh, an, and anti-hero uh, but you know i think they're they're doing things to make her uh, to, like to 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 explain some of the reasons why she is an anti-hero and you know the main reason maybe being because of how she's been treated by the men in her life and so um you know yeah. i think that um that's obviously something which makes her uh more authentic and you know oh no uh, the a word likable character yeah likable <laughs> character um and so yeah i mean i think i think she's great i love her like stuff in the action sequences as well i mean there's an action scene in this movie i mean to me it's clearly the standout scene of the movie um when she is sort of escaping from captivity um where is she at like in the i don't think she's in the president's mansion she's in like an embassy or something it seems like but i, I um, can only read it as the president's mansion but i'm okay. not sure that it is some building of government import yeah. she starts off by sort of acrobatically um you know uh getting the stealing the key from this guy and then unlocking herself um and then you know proceeds to sort of well, wipe she, out she did her best on a top impression i think is what yeah, you meant she to did, say yeah. <laughs> wipe out everyone uh in this hallway but it's stylized in this very colorful way with flowers and everything and the mm -hmm. um background and um animated birds know, yeah, it's just, you know, very over the top and imaginative. Again, it, I, it is very reminiscent. I was saying to you, Scott, it's very reminiscent of the police station scene yeah. from Birds of Prey where she comes in with like the uh, paint canisters or whatever it is. And it's I just think it's like beanbags. She, fight, it, she yeah, shoots yeah. beanbags out of a shotgun that are filled yeah, with like glitter. But they're like filled with glitter and colorful stuff. It, yeah. it is visually it's like that. And that scene's probably good, better, though, than this one, in my opinion. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. There's some good uh music during the scene as well. Um, so mm -hmm. I think that, you know, again, I, I, I like the style of action that you get out of this character as well. And then Idris Elba, yeah, yeah I mean, he, he does what he does. I don't think he's um, you know, doing anything radically different performance wise from what we've seen from him in movies in the past. Um, he's black Superman. Yeah, but his tough guy thing, his tough guy shtick works. Um I do like his bromance that sort of forms with him and Rick flag. Um, yeah. Again, I think that brings some softer edges to yeah. the character. His relationship with his daughter is not something that really worked for me. Um, well, it's so I, forgettable. I, yeah, well, I actually, I, I found it pretty like comical in the end that like after, you know, the day gets saved and whatnot and he's on TV, um, you know, store, we see storm Reed, who is his daughter, like, being like my dad's a hero like just does a complete 180 like from the start of the movie where like the scene between them is like brutal like she just absolutely hates him and is just like you know spitting venom at him but then all of a sudden because he's done you know this heroic thing or whatnot and it's on tv 
It's like, I love my dad again. Uh, I found that kind of silly, but otherwise Scott, that, think, that's emotionally abusive relationships for you. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Um, otherwise I, I liked it yourself and found his character good as well. Yeah. I think like they're definitely, I would say that Idris Elba and Har- and Margot Robbie for two very different reasons are sort of the rocks of, of the film, right? Like you have Idris Elba, who is this like tougher edge, but with a few, you know, soft edges as well. But like generally speaking, harder character, you know, is this sort of badass killer. They're really just trying to replace Will Smith's dead shot with a new similar type character, which is fine enough for me. I think that he has a harder edge than Will Smith. And I think that works well for this movie that has a harder edge than David Ayers um, in terms of the amount of violence. You know, this film, we haven't, I guess, explicitly said about ultra violent, very bloody movie. And I think that Idris Elba, the way Idris Elba is playing this character of Bloodsport fits the movie better than Will Smith's. I mean, like, I'm sure the character would have been different if Will Smith playing it. And I'm not saying Will Smith can't play a hard edge character, but this this movie, Bloodsport worked, worked well. Whether or not Deadshot would have worked doesn't matter. Um, probably would have. I'm sure Will Smith could have pulled it off for sure. But the but the dynamic that he has with John Cena, Rick Flag, it's nice. Honestly, it's really nice. It works well. Um, I like the conflict between him and John Cena. I feel like I, I can't tell Scott. Maybe you can help me out with this. John Cena is is he in on the joke? Is he is he in on on his character well, on the character joke? That's what I'm saying. At first, it kind of seems like he is, and then towards the end of the movie, I'm not so sure. But maybe that's why. Yeah, you know, we're we're deep enough into it at this point. Maybe that's why he's becomes a villain, right? Like, yeah, because he's not really in on the joke. And again, like the movie, I think ultimately is. I think anarchic, which I use to describe Harley is a good word to describe the movie in general, because it's like kind of, you know, quote unquote, anti-American is probably like a harsh way to put it. But like, well, certainly critical of colonialism, that's for sure. Yes. And, you know, John Cena's character is obviously, like I said, the most, uh, you know, literal sort of. uh, Yeah illustration of that in the way that he's like oh i'm the peacemaker but then he just goes through and starts killing everyone and there's a there's that whole scene i mean well, he, it, full, it does he full on up... says it on the nose he's like yeah I'll, i'm willing to kill anyone to to bring peace or whatever i mean so it seems like he's and, in on the joke i don't know and it but it does get played for laughs too like when they first go into the village right because they think rick flag is like in captivity oh, yeah. and they that, just that like murder everyone yeah. and then they go in there and and you know rick flag he's like having tea with alice braga <laughs> and she's like Wait a minute. These were these are my fellow, you know, yeah, villagers. They've been helping us out, and they're all just like, uh, um, which I mean, it is funny, but also, you know, it does get at that larger point. I guess is is what you're going with. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. He he, the performance wasn't great for me, but um, I didn't, and we haven't talked about Viola Davis as well. Who I mean, obviously, I, I mean, she's barely in the movie, but well, but she, I mean, but she makes the most of it. Like I think she's great in this in this role as she is in most roles at the same time i do i don't like love where this plot line goes like i mean i think the first of all the comedy that they try to do during like the scenes in the you know control room with like steve agee as like the you know kind of comp- comedic relief guy that didn't really work for me um but uh you know i think i also think that like the reveal or whatever that oh you know waller sort of set them all up to try and um, steal this disc or steal whatever it is that they're trying to steal. I forget. They're trying to destroy records. 
Yeah, because yeah. they implicate, you know, the, the American US. government and all of this stuff. Yeah. Um, that I, I was like, of course. Like, I mean, it, it just it feels like very it feels like exactly the same from the first from the original movie. I don't know. Right. Yeah. And somebody else yeah. was saying that, too. But yeah, it just it feels very predictable. Um, but again, if you're going to have somebody in this sort of role um, that could be a throwaway role and, you know, does kind of go to some predictable places, you know, you could have one of the best you know the best you could do is have one of the best actresses out there doing totally. it, and that's what they they have with viola davis so i think she takes the character as far as she can go with it i agree yeah I, and i do think honestly it's like smart to give that character a reduced role because she's not going to be the one who makes or breaks this movie for you like no um that's just that's just the truth of it she's not a particularly interesting character in many ways you could say she's the villain honestly i mean you could definitely just just you know in terms of like just a turn in terms of ethos or whatever, right? Like she's making all these people go out and do these horrible, more horrible things in exchange for less of a prison sentence for the horrible things that they did. I don't know. It's very, it's very, maybe it's a little overwrought, but I think it's pretty simple in, the, in that way. I just, yeah, the character is good. I guess to go back to heart to Harley and, and Margaret Robbie's performance. I mean, she's just clearly the most capable actor in the cast. I mean, she holds the screen better than anyone in my opinion. Just, just no one has that magnetism in, in whatever role she does. But I think particularly with Harley Quinn, she embodies that character in live action form better than I think you could really imagine anyone doing. So she's great. Scott, I, I, I did actually want to talk about um, something that you already mentioned. We, we'll come back around and talk about the action sequences, the set pieces, and then Project Starfish. But I did want to ask you what you thought of this sort of metaphor, allegory, commentary on america as this imperialist body like i they obviously do not go all in on this critique no. but it certainly underlies i like the premise of the movie did it work for you do you feel like it was just warner brothers james gunn whoever trying to be clever without really delivering anything does it matter that it didn't deliver everything what do you think yeah, I don't know. I don't th I don't know that it really worked for me. Again, like I said, some of the stuff is just kind of played for laughs. I don't feel like you end up thinking about it all that much, even. Well, even it's very on the, the nose. It's kind of hard not to not to think about it. But yeah, e even with the plot development that happens in the third act, like I said, I think it's just like it, it never really got deeper than like a standard you know, heroes and villains story for me. Like it's uh -huh. just the way it was like i i could see what they're going for i understand what they're trying to go for sure and i appreciate it's not that they're yeah yeah i appreciate that they're like trying to have some sort of commentary and a you know and fairly progressive commentary too in a sure. um yeah. you know blockbuster superhero movie but like you know it is about as surface level as you would expect as for you know again for a blockbuster superhero movie yeah i i guess my response um or my follow-up question to that would be what what would you like it to have done? Maybe like is is this not the sweet spot that you would like from a from a from if the Suicide Squad is still the Suicide Squad? Like what what is like the best case scenario? I guess is my question. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'd have to. That's something I'd have to think about in, mm -hmm. in more detail. But I mean, you know, obviously it could it could stand to have more nuance. Sure. But to your point, maybe that doesn't. Maybe it, then it doesn't feel like at yeah. home in a suicide squad movie because there's yeah there's then harley quinn doesn't get her javelin and it's all a bummer right so I, I i don't know if it would have worked any better with nuance again i i just maybe they don't even need to have it at all i don't know yeah maybe not no i i think that it was 
interesting to have pointed it out at all. I'm not sure that I mean I think that they could they could have done more. I'm not sure that doing more would have made it better. I think it might have made it worse in some ways. Like at yeah, some point kind of what I'm thinking like you know if you have this otherwise like sort of chaotic tongue in cheek movie that all of a sudden has this super really serious sort of... commentary. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think it actually maybe even hits the sweet spot for it. I think it's like hard not to think that like oh well if they're going to do it they might as well have done it, done it more but then like then you're just like thinking about a completely different movie and I'm not really sure what what to make of that. Maybe maybe that completely different movie is better than the one we got. I have no idea. It certainly would be different, but it's probably not James Gunn's wheelhouse. They probably need something someone else to come, to come in and write that at some point. But yeah, I'm not I'm not sure. It was interesting that it was there. I think that I like it on the whole that they did it instead of not doing it. Um, just to have a movie like as big of Su- as Suicide Squad acknowledge that this type of thing is an issue. And even in modern times, I mean, granted, this isn't the real world, but that it still is a yeah, that's the other issue thing. today. It's it's not like a real country or anything that they're in. So I don't know how much. I mean, I don't I don't know what role that's going to how how much that matters ultimately. But some yeah. people, you know, again, may not even think about it behind beyond the surface level because you know they yeah. don't. You know, it, it's in a different context. It's in a different country. That yeah, I mean, exist. it certainly is applicable probably to like most island nations in the Caribbean, sure. and, and this is technically set in South America, so like. Maybe you could say it's applicable to like Venezuela or something like that. But I mean, I know I know that's not an island nation, but South American nation. Um, yeah, I don't know. Just something that was very on the nose in the movie. Not in a bad way, but just very, very clear that the movie was taking a shot at. And curious what your thoughts were. But moving on from that, Scott, let's talk about the set pieces, right? Like we've talked about, or at least you, you've briefly mentioned some of the ones early on. But why don't we go to that very first one, right? Heads roll, quite, since Sam says is quite literally um, in this opening scene. Did you like that? I mean, I kind of talked about it already in terms of that. I liked this flavor to it, but, you know, we're 10 minutes into the movie and about five, six, seven, eight characters have died. What did you think of that opening scene? Yeah, I like it. I, I did like it. I thought it was pretty fun. Um, it reminded me of like the Deadpool 2, again, Deadpool 2 sequence of like the whole new squad or whatever and all of them just like immediately dying, um, you know, as they're jumping out of the plane and whatnot, uh, you know, which is obviously a very funny scene but um the only thing i didn't like about it is that it's very dark um like visually dark like it's nighttime yeah and you know there's not a whole lot that is illuminating the screen and i just feel like I, that, that's that's a drawback to me of a lot of modern comic book movies is that they can get like c- color palette wise they can be pretty sort of gray at times um so i didn't i didn't like that part of it but you know i like like seeing the the dumb superheroes just, you know, getting killed off in stupid ways. I mean, that was that was kind of fun. I mean, Weasel immediately like drowning when they're like, nobody. Like, Not really, though. If they swim. Yeah. Not I really. Mean, yeah, but yeah, sure. If you watch the post credit scene. But um, but, you know, them being like nobody checked to see if he could swim is like, yeah, kind of funny. Yeah, it was funny. Um, the the what is it? The the detachable kid. Right, right, because his like body parts come off, of course. Yeah, yeah. I was keeping the disposable, the dismembered. That's not it. <laughs> it's yeah. detachable. Um, yeah, that was so weird. But I think it's all it's all played for good laughs, right? Like you get a lot of bang for your buck in those opening few sure. minutes. Um, and then you don't have to think about this characters ever again until the post credits scene. Yeah, I don't know. It was interesting. Good action. It is sort of like a. It has a very 
I don't know, saving private Ryan feel to it or whatever, waiting yeah. onto the beach. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess just about the same number of people die in the scene uh, as Normandy. It seems like everyone dies. I mean, everyone does die except for flag and, and Harley. So funny stuff. Scott, any of the other action set pieces you want to talk about? And then we can also talk about project starfish. Yeah. I mean, I guess just sort of to tie, tie it into project starfish. I mean, the ending sure. battle scene is very creative. Like the, well, yeah, let's, let's talk about it then project starfish. They end up fighting a giant starfish, right? That like, yeah, it's very literal. All of these other little starfish, like well, it's, it's not birds because it's, it's it's all part of that one starfish. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Gotta get up on the lore, Scott. All of these different starfish, but again, that felt like something comic booky. Like I've not seen something like that in a long time in one of these superhero movies. I feel like, um, and the way that they sort of all are able to band together, like and all use sort of their individual skills to ultimately cripple the um you know yeah. the, the giant starfish was something that i thought was a cool way of like ending that battle it wasn't just you know a standard just your you know yeah. punch off or whatever sure. you know that you get in these final scenes of them like the end of wonder woman um the, like the the battle scene at the end of wonder woman it's just like who yeah. who can use their powers harder than the other one you know like it's just kind of very rote but um you know i thought that Again, it's it's a creative way of sort of following through on the team dynamic that they have spent the whole movie setting up by allowing everyone, minus Polka Dot Man, who gets, you know, 86th, to, uh, t- to yeah, use their true. own skills to, uh, you know, yeah. to, to defeat the beast. Yeah, Rat Catcher's 2OP, though. I mean, gotta, gotta call it like we see it. All those rats in Corto Maltese. I know, that was pretty terrifying. Um, but again, like I was surprised, I mean, you know, it's surprising how well I think they're able to get some emotional resonance out of the whole like thing with, um, with Idris Elba being afraid of rats, because again, I am the, the least, the, the person who was least likely to feel anything about this sort of plot line, because, you know, I don't care about rats, animals. We've, we've been over this before. Like, I don't get invested in that sort of thing. But I thought it was I even I thought it was kind of a nice moment again when he like pets the rat at the very end. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. What, what was that rat's name? Like Javier or something? I don't remember the rat's name. Oh, gosh. Why did you have to ask me that? Because now it's going to kill me that I can't remember what his name is. It was a cute name, though. I liked it. Yeah. Probably isn't Javier. It's probably something different. Um, it wasn't Javier. No, <laughs> well. I couldn't. I was trying to think of the, the name of the rat in the middle of the movie too, and I'd forgotten it. So I don't. <laughs> it went one ear out the other. But yeah, no, that that seems fun, right? Like Harley, Harley jumping into the eye of the starfish and using the javelin to, I don't know, well, like get the rats into the starfish eye. Very disturbing scene, truly from the mind of James Gunn. Um, weird, weird stuff, but different, right? Like it. It would have been From really the disturbed dis- mind of James yeah, Gunn. <laughs> I mean, honestly, though, I, I do think that it's like it, it is really nice that uh, that you can get a final scene with more flavor, right, than just something that is the same as sort of the opening scene, right, where they're just storming a beach and, you know, kill or be killed kind of thing. Or even when they're invading the camp and assassinating people, like it's just so nice that every set piece feels different than the previous one. And they're all. They all have their own flavor and fit in to the story overall. So that it is refreshing in that way. 
All right, Scott, uh, favorite scene or moment? I think you already hinted at what it was, so you can confirm it now. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely the the uh, Harley Quinn escape sequence. Again, very imaginative visually and fun action, good use of music. I also like, like, the very first scene of them all together when they're, like, use being when Waller is like giving them their mission basically and there's like the overhead projector and it's just like there's some fun banter and everything that's going on in the scenes again sort of establishing the characters um and John Cena asking about what is it something about buttholes or something uh, and he's like you think yeah. there's any connection again that that's one of one of his funnier uh moments again because he's like taking stuff so seriously when everything everyone else is like you know again very tongue-in-cheek and colorful and everything so i thought that was funny um so those are those would be my two shouts yeah good scene i do really like the scene in um they're in jotunheim it's like in the tower if i if i'm not going to go with sort of the the camp scene where they kill all these people at the end realize they didn't need to slash shouldn't have um i'll probably go with the in jotunheim when they're it's like just harley Bloodsport and polka dot man and then like the the guy who is driving the bus and they're like there is a guy driving the bus he's still milton, around right yeah. yeah milton we forgot to talk about milton yeah that was which funny. is kind of and fitting because the whole joke is that they they forgot about don't even realize milton. this guy is here the whole time but by the way sebastian was the name of the rat sebastian oh of course that's a good name that's a good name um, crab and little mermaid exactly so honestly, that's probably why I have good associations with that name. But yeah, I, I like that scene. It's very that's like some real that that was one of the scenes that got some real humor out of it. And then I did appreciate that it came back up later when Harley says that Idris Elba is Milton. I thought we had a whole conversation about how your name was Milton. They'd yeah, already forgotten exactly. about the other guy again. Yeah. Uh-huh. Good stuff. Scott, before we put a score on it, Peacemaker series, thumbs up, thumbs down. No. That's a thumbs down for Scott. Not, not with John Cena. Sorry. Not like in the sequel series. All right. That's too bad. More Har- I- more Harley, please. More blood sport. Yeah. Well, the, they probably can't the pay Margot enough money to do a TV show. So. Sure. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe they can. Who knows? All right, Scott. Out of 10, what are you giving Suicide? The Suicide Squad. Sorry. Uh, best franchise movie of the summer. Definitely. It's a 7.9. 7.9. Okay. Good stuff. Yeah, I'm right. I think we're more or less on the same page. I'm giving this a 7.8, slightly lower, but inconsequentially, inconsequentially. So uh, a lot of fun, more fun than the film probably is if you add up the sum of its parts. Um, But that goes to the charm of the film and how the parts fit together, I suppose. All right, Scott, that should just about do it for our discussion of the Suicide Squad. When we come back, we've got a couple items of news to talk about. We'll be right back. Welcome back for part two of today's episode of Some Like It, Scott. As teased before the break, we have a couple news items as usual. Scott, we're going to go to you first. You have some news about a recent casting for a film that's already in production. that We've already seen pictures of in production. Scott, that is for Killers of the Flower Moon. Who has joined? I guess it's Killer of the Flower Moon. Killer? Killers? Killers. Killers of the Flower Moon. It is plural. Yeah. Who has joined the cast? Uh, yeah, well, the 
Brendan Fraser Assange seems to be uh, continuing, Scott. Of course, he was yeah. already uh, in uh, No Sudden Move, the Steven Soderbergh film this year, um, and getting some pretty good buzz for that. You know, Doom Patrol, he obviously is one of the leads on that show, which a lot of people seem to like. I think has Is that a DC show? Yeah. Um, I didn't realize he was in that. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's like the lead i think um well that, that, yeah. that movie was buried or that show was buried on dc universe for a couple seasons before it actually went to hbo max because yeah. they combined the services or whatever yeah well people like it from what i understand but cool. um but yeah anyway the point is he is now going to be in killers of the flower moon scott um you know joining the already stacked cast as we know with uh with leonardo dicaprio uh jesse plemons robert de niro um and others uh Oh, yeah, I forgot Sturgill Simpson is also in this. Um, that should be fun. And Jason Isbell. Um, but, yeah, this is... Well, Jesse be a, Plemons you know, is the lead, right? De- yeah, well, je- yeah, that was, like, the the recent, m- more recent news. Was yeah, like just DiCaprio stepped back or whatever. Right, they sort of switched roles. I think DiCaprio was going to be the lead. And um, yeah. now Jesse Plemons is getting his opportunity. This is, like, going to... this The story is, like, about one of, like, think, like, the first serial killer investigations, like, by the FBI. Um, murders of a Native American tribe, I believe. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Scott, this is, uh, you know... I'd be surprised if when we talk about our most anticipated movies of 2022, if this, you know, doesn't top the list for me. Um, you know, obviously I love Martin Scorsese's work. The subject matter seems really juicy. Um, and the cast is is shaping up to be excellent. You know, Brendan Fraser, I can't say I've seen a ton of his movies before, um, but I've never thought he was that bad in the stuff that, um, you know, the stuff that, he's that i've seen him in it's kind of like a keanu reeves situation for me where like i don't know there for some reason there's some people that feel he's like kind of wooden or cheesy or whatever but um it's never really fully translated for me and now maybe he will have the sort of comeback that um that keanu has had in recent years because he's also got that darren aronofsky movie that he's going to be in right the whale um yeah i think that's aronofsky that's doing that the the, based on the play where he play he's going to play like the 600 pound dude or whatever but um yeah so another another uh juicy project to add to to brendan frazier's upcoming list um and it's always cool when actors like this get sort of a second chance to um you know make their career into something really successful yeah i was recently talking i think with some coworkers about brendan fraser i don't really know how he came up but talking about how they did like they obviously they did not think very highly of him and i'm like i don't really get that and i guess i didn't understand how maligned his like career has become and like in terms of like his historical movies with like people like to dump on the mummy especially the sequel um yeah i I mean i think the the first one is pretty well liked but yeah the sequels i think are yeah i I feel like they and he certainly just kind of disappeared for a decade or so um but i've always kind of liked him i think that he's i think that he's like a a couple you know a couple units of measurement away from being someone with sort of like the weird zany vibe i'm not saying he's as good as nicholas cage but someone of that type yeah right like he's I feel like he's in that sort of typecast for me. And I know people also like to dump on Nicolas Cage, but I find them to be respectable actors and fun oh, to go see absolutely them. Absolutely, with Nicolas Cage. Um, how, how was he in No Sudden Move? Because you've seen it, I haven't. 
I didn't. I mean, for what it's worth, I didn't even realize it was Brendan Fraser for half the movie. But oh, really, <laughs> well, that's because he's like to me, he's he like virtually unrecognizable because yeah, yeah. he's so. I mean, he's. I don't know. I don't know if he's actually putting on pounds for the whale, uh, but he's put on some pounds. <laughs> Let's put it that way. He's not. He's not going to put on all of that weight off. Well, sure, he's surely no, 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 no. Maybe a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, but he's like maybe I mean, just so like in the face he looks. You know. Right oh, I mean, he really. I mean, he's a big guy now. Um, I don't know how much of that is is intentional versus just the direction life took him. But um, if, if the mummy is your reference point, you will have a very hard time recognizing Brendan Fraser um, in the, in the movie. Um, He's fine. I don't know. I I know you said like a lot of people are praising him. I thought he was fine. I mean, I generally thought that movie was fine. Good. The movie was good. Not great. Um, I would say it does seem like you're a little bit lower on it than probably the average is because I think most people, not, not you, you keep saying that you keep saying that, it, but I gave it three stars, and I think the average on Letterbox is three point three or three point four. Okay, yeah. Again, maybe it's just the people I follow that yeah. seem to enjoy it more. Yeah. No, I mean, look, you. We we both follow one of the biggest Soderbergh fans um, on Letterbox and friend of the pod, Paul Yama. But yeah, I wasn't even referring to Paul. I just meant like you know the general critical response. That, sure, the like like Finnessy and Sims, they all really like. No yeah, all of those people like that. I think. Yeah, they they're all Soderbergh stands, which is fine. I've got no problem with them. Um, I just don't think sure. it's as good as like High Flying Bird or some of Soderbergh's other other stuff, um, even more recent. So I mean, obviously, it's not Ocean's Eleven. Ocean's Eleven is god tier. But anyway, anyway, uh, the other piece of news that we want to talk about is a movie that's it's not really a piece of news per se, that it's debuting at the London Film Festival. Um, the real piece of news is that I learned of this movie's existence, and that is a Netflix film called The Harder They Fall. This film has an absolutely stacked cast on theme for today's episode. It does star Idris Elba alongside uh, Regina King, Lakeith Stanfield, uh, Jonathan Majors, Delroy Lindo, and my girl, Jazzy Beats. Um, it's got absolutely stacked cast. It's a, it's a neo-Western type where these like these gangs of three, right? You have Elba, Regina King, Lakeith Stanfield sort of squaring off. Um, I don't know. Hatfield McCoy style against these three of Delroy Lindo, um, Zazie beats and the, the in, in, I guess, hot, hot piece of, of uh, actor, Jonathan majors, who's just, I mean, probably one of the hottest assets in Hollywood in terms of up and coming actors. Yeah. Um, Scott, did you know this movie existed? Am I the only one who didn't know this this film existed? No, I I didn't really know about it, and I feel like I feel I feel that way about Netflix movies. That's really they have like four hundred that come out a year, so yeah, can be Um, but it's cool, and you know what's cool about it, you know, in addition to other things, obviously, sort of the elephant in the room here is we're talking about all you know African American actors and actresses, which in a genre like western is something new right i think this is traditionally a genre that is dominated by you know the john waynes and clint yeah. eastwoods uh, yeah. of the world you know white white men and so um, it would be cool sure it would be cool to see um black men and women leading a western um who's the director of this do we know oh keep talking and i'll find out but yeah no i mean and plus you know you have some some big names there like you said jonathan majors is on the rise um, Delroy Lindo obviously just came off sort of a career high with his role in uh, Defy Bloods. Regina King, you know, again, also at sort of the peak of her career between her Academy Award winning 
rolling if Bill Street could talk, Watchmen, directing One Night in Miami last year. Um, and then Idris Elba, you know, again, we just talked about another movie that, uh, you know, a huge movie that he was at the lead of. So, yeah, James Samuel, J-E-Y-M-E-S. Never heard. Okay, if you say so. Yeah. Yeah, look, it's exciting, right? Like, who knows? You know, I just went and saw a film with Jazzy Beats today that was directed by someone I'd never heard of before, and Edson Oda, and absolutely loved it. Granted, that's not a Netflix movie, and Netflix quality bar is a little bit lower, I think, on average than Sony Pictures Classics, which I believe also put out films like The Father. Um, and I think they did Pedro Almodovar's film from a couple years ago that got a lot of Pain, awards. Pain and Glory. Pain and Glory, yeah, 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 that one. Um, although it was... I'll talk about that in a second. Um but yeah, look, I, I the bar is different, right? When you're getting picked up by Sony Pictures Classic and um, the, the Netflix, and that that's just straight as it is. And so, with an unknown like James Samuel, it concerns me a little bit because they do give, as we've talked about week over week in the podcast, it feels like when we talk about Netflix, a lot of directorial autonomy, um, and I think that can be great in some cases, and it can be less great in some cases. And usually with these sort of unknown filmmakers, it's awesome that they're getting the chance to make that, like truly make their own movie at such at a point in their career. It can also be a hindrance when you don't have producers helping you uh, refine your film to a product that, you know, is just a little bit more refined than people at this stage in their career have the ability to or have the experience to be able to to get to. So, yeah, yeah, yeah I think it's a, a bit of a mixed bag, but it's exciting. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you're a. Uh no-name director and you're attracting this type of cast you would like to think that he's got something on his hands here yeah i mean that certainly is my inclination it, it is a really really impressive cast um but yeah that's all we got scott there are a few movies that you teased at the beginning of the episode that you are now due to talk about so give us the spiel <laughs> yeah uh i mean i mentioned that i went to see annette and uh and stillwater this weekend uh, Annette, I cannot recommend really in any way. Um, I cannot this, recommend dot 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 at all. <laughs> yeah, it it was very. I mean, it will work for some people. I'm sure there are some people who will find it. Oh, it's brilliant! But the movie was very far up its own derriere. Um, I mean, it, it it really is like basically an opera. Like it 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 like the way it is styled and just musically as well. I mean, for one, Marianne Cotillard's character is an opera singer, but musically it's just like there's nothing really interesting going on musically which is crazy to say because it's sparks and like after you know watching the sparks brothers documentary i've listened to a ton of their music uh and i really enjoy their music but um maybe yeah, they shouldn't I, have written a, a movie scott i don't know very ponderous very navel gazing um this movie uh and and the music like i was saying like look it's okay i'm not saying that you have to like if you're going to make a musical you have to make a musical where like that has all kinds of bangers in it and like traditionally catchy sure. appealing songs but this movie is just like it doesn't have any songs at all like it's just tuneless like dialogue like uh, they're they're singing pretty uh often throughout the movie it's not completely sung through but maybe 75 percent sung through and the dialogue is very sort of like on the nose painting with broad strokes. And when you combine it with it, like being sung in a sort of, like I said, tuneless, atonal fashion, um, it's just a slog. Uh, and the movie's two hours and 20 minutes long at like an hour in, I was like ready for it to be over. I was like, I'm not sure I'm going to make it. 
Uh, and there are some like crazy plot twists that happen sort of in the third act of the movie that like at least kept me interested enough to like not just be miserable counting down the seconds until it ended. But it's I, I, I can't recommend the movie. It it very much feels like one of those, you know, art house movies that premieres at a film festival and everyone's like, oh, this is so great. But it feels like a canned movie that like again everyone oh this is so great i mean and to be fair not everyone was saying that coming out of can but there were people who were saying that that's true leo's Car- leo's carrick's did win best director i believe i believe so. um <laughs> which is it, it definitely won some award it won some award this movie's an absolute hot mess um and like i said i i can't recommend it maybe watch it on amazon when it comes out if you're really that curious about it but it does not live up to what I was hoping it would it would be because I was pretty excited for the movie. I mean, I drove all the way out to Chapel Hill like an hour away to see it because I was expecting it to be good. I mean, and Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard they they give it their all, but yeah, it is what it is. Uh, Stillwater, however, which well, if I, you're, quickly though, if you're yeah. watching that on Amazon, would you have turned it off? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, one hundred percent. I would have not finished the movie. Ouch. Yeah. Um, Stillwater, however, I really enjoyed this movie. Like, kind of in the in the opposite way. This surprised me with how how good it was. Not, you know, it's Tom McCarthy, right? He, his last movie was one of my favorite movies of all time. Spotlight won Best Picture. Um, well, his last movie was a Disney Plus movie, wasn't it? That's true. That I forgot about that. But, uh, <laughs> the once in, you know what the, I mean. His last Ivan real movie. movie. Yeah, yeah, his last real movie was. Uh, yeah, I don't think it was the one and only Ivan was. It was something different than that, but. Um, you're right. It was some animal movie. It had polar yeah. bears in it, or something. It was crap. like right after Disney Plus like started. It yeah. Dropped. But um, his last real movie was Spotlight, one of my favorite movies of all time. So you know, I obviously like him as a director, but I wasn't hearing like amazing things about this movie. Um, you know, it, it was kind of like Matt, you know trailers look like you know Matt Damon playing some sort of like Trump supporter who you know goes overseas to help his daughter who has been you know accused of murder and in prison for murder um, while she's a student over there. But I was, I I was very sort of moved and um, challenged by this movie. I think uh, it's, it's a tough, in in some regards, it's a tough watch. Um, Parts of it are, it it has a very sort of defined three act structure, which some people will find like off-putting because the three acts are very different from each other. And so I think some people are going to get a little bit of tonal whiplash for it from it, but like it really worked for me. You know, the, the first half is this sort of like procedural type, um, you know, maybe more of what you expected from this movie to be uh, with Matt Damon kind of following some leads, trying to, you know, clear his daughter's name. Um, then the second act, which is to me the strongest act part of the movie is really this sort of, plotless uh and i don't want to say too much because again the movie the 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 thing i would say on on the whole is the movie is very surprising it was not it did not go where i was expecting it was not the type of movie i was expecting this is not a thriller this is not really a crime drama this is a character study which is kind of what tom mccarthy all of tom mccarthy's movies are like that's what i liked about spotlight is this it did not turn out to be the sort of boilerplate oscar Beatty drama that you would have expected it was it was much more understated there were great character moments in the movie and that's even more true of stillwater i think like this is a quiet movie it's very like i said it's very understated it is about these people more than it is about you know this central sort of plot of you know did 
his daughter commit this crime and how can he get her out? Um, and, you know, there's some interesting themes going on. I, I think it's very sort of Eastwoodian or recent Eastwood with films like Richard Jewell and The Mule um, in the way that it sort of examines American behavior abroad um, and, you know, just sort of attitudes about America as a country. Masculinity, I think, is sort of um, implicated here. Uh, and, you know, just sort of some some complex, a complex look at what, what justice looks like. That is, is a theme that I always enjoy when movies take a look at that, obviously based on the, the field of work that I am in. Um, I, I take a, you know, concerted interest in movies that sort of examine justice in a, in a complex way. And I think the movie does do that. Matt Damon, I think is really good in this movie. Um, definitely worthy of Oscar contention. Um, well, it's certainly Oscar's type of role that would get Oscar contention. Yeah, totally. Um, and Very. I think he's he's worthy of it. I think Abigail Breslin does a really good job as his daughter. Um, she has some good scenes. You know, she hasn't been around a lot in recent years, but I, I think she has some really effective moments in the movie. Um, and then the, the French woman who plays sort of the other main character in the movie, Constance something maybe is her name. I, she was really good too. I've never seen her in anything, but I think she makes a strong impact. The plot twists that happen in the third act may not work for everyone, but you mean Camille Cotton? Is that who you meant? Camille Cotton, yeah. yeah. Every time I thought I was, I started getting worried about where the movie was going. I think McCarthy was able to to reel it in and really sort of stick the landing. And I think the last scene is actually really quite lovely. And when the when we you know when it fades to credits after the sort of the last moment of the movie, you know, I'm not going to say the movie was an all timer like Spotlight was, but I did. I, I was kind of like breathless in the way that spotlight left me i remember at the the end of the movie the first time i watched it i was like wow i really just need to kind of like sit on it because it's a tough movie it doesn't let its characters off the hook which is is good that's spotlight was the same way um in that regard too um and it, you know if you're looking for something that is sort of morally black and white and has you know defined heroes and villains you're definitely not going to find it here um so i i think this is an excellent movie one of my favorites this year um, and I would highly recommend people checking out it out. If you're sort of on the fence, like again, reading reviews, maybe you're not really seeing great things about the movie or people who are loving it. Um, I think it's, it's underrated from what I have seen, not that people dislike it on the whole, but uh, I don't think people are giving it enough credit for how good that it is. It's also possible that this movie is just kind of in my wheelhouse, um, which I, I think, I think that is also true. But I think Tom McCarthy is is a really, really good director and he makes um, he spins gold out of this material, which with eight out of 10 other directors could have been, again, that boilerplate Oscar Beatty drama. So, well, he, he's the writer, too. He doesn't just spin it from a director. Yeah. And he wrote Spotlight as well and won an Oscar yeah. for writing Spotlight. So, yeah, I think I mean, you kind of skirted around the real controversy of it all. And surprised you didn't bring it up at all. And that is the fact that this film loosely is based on an Amanda Knox. It's it's not though. Like it's not, I, I just, I just have to say, this is why I didn't even bring it up because like, I just think it's as with, I mean, Tom McCarthy has says it inspired. I mean, like, I don't know how you say it's not. I mean, Tom McCarthy said it. it, it I don't think he said it. it inspired it. Did he? I think he said it's an Amanda Knox like story, but it's sure. not even that. What's the difference? What's the difference? Sorry. The, the difference is that, he is saying that he is admitting that there is a similarity in the plot to Amanda Knox's story. He is not saying that I wrote this 
plot because of Amanda Knox's case. Like, I, I just sure. think, I think he wrote, he wrote the, he wrote a movie about that features, you know, as a main plot element, a girl who was a student, American student abroad, who gets accused of murder, who gets in prison for murder. That is where the similarities stop. Like, well, I think that, and that's people's problem, I think, right? That's where the similarities uh, Yeah, but I, I just yeah. don't, I just don't see how that's, that's a problem. Like, I understand this happened to Amanda Knox, whatever. And, you know, it was obviously very traumatic and she was, her name was cleared and everything. I've watched the Amanda Knox documentary on Netflix. Um, mm -hmm. But like, we can make movies about the same sort of thing without it, you know, we, we, we need, we don't have to tread so carefully around like th this sort of plot line just because it's happened before. It's not like he's, he's dramatizing the whole Amanda Knox story without, you know, consulting her or getting her consent or anything like that. Again, I would say sure. ultimately the movie is not even about that. That is just the, the veneer thrust yeah. for the plot that is just the yeah. setup and, and the movie itself is actually much more of a character study of this character played by matt damon of bill baker mm -hmm. yeah so, i mean everything that, everything that i've blown in my opinion yeah the, the controversy is yeah i mean i guess you could say that's amanda knox is doing but it also is her her life that the film is apparently and, and i get it i'm not going to tell her to feel about it how yeah. to feel about it right like i she obviously has uh, an intimate perspective with this because she was mm -hmm. in this position. So, but for that reason, I feel like, you know, maybe she's not the best person to give sort of a neutral unbiased take on, well, does this movie actually um, exploit her story or is this just a, you know, mm -hmm. sort of a, a, a movie about a similar, a situation similar to her. But like I said, not even about that. Like it just features that in the movie. Like, that is the setup of the movie. Yeah, I mean, look, I haven't seen the film yet. I will reserve judgment. Her argument is certainly that it 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 leverages stereotypes about her that have been factually proven as untrue. And at least in a court of law, maybe not factually isn't the right word. But in a court of law, like the assumptions people made about her have been proven to be wrong. And this film leverages the assumptions about her that have been proven wrong. Yeah, I don't. I, yeah, see, I don't, I don't know about that. Again, I think and I don't want to say too much, but I, I think sure. some of what the movie is doing is interrogating the way that the media and everything portrays Abigail Breslin as, mm -hmm. uh, you know, as the girl who is in prison. And, you know, basically she was put on trial by the media. She never stood a chance. Yeah. The Amanda uh, Knox of type. being declared innocent. Ex exactly. So I, I don't think that the movie is. I don't think it's playing into the stereotypes. Again, th this is where I feel like so many film Twitter controversies are born out of is like the yeah. idea that depicting something is endorsing it, which is obviously just not true. Like, yeah, but I, yeah, yes, that is certainly the case. Absolutely. hundred percent agree. Yeah. I, I guess my, my only concern going into it and I'll have a different, maybe I'll have a different opinion when I leave the film is that it is true that we can make movies about real life events. I do think that with certain, things and this has come up on podcasts that we've done before gone girl for example is one of the ones that we had a very long conversation when we were on our fincher countdown but i do think it is the responsibility of filmmakers to think very carefully about how they portray certain things and how that can be interpreted and the responsibility that they have in sort of like pop culture conversations i have no idea yet because i have not seen the movie how it handles that but i do think that if you're going to in an interview say that yes Amanda Knox, how whatever the exact wording of the quote is, right? But like Amanda Knox, in some ways, this reminds me of this or other way around, which whichever it might be, the way Tom 
Tom McCarthy said it. I think that when you say something like that, but you leave certain elements of her story out, very key elements of her story about her character and about who she is as a person, whether or not she actually committed the crime. It's not about her, though. That's my thing. It's not about Amanda Knox. It's about another girl who ended up in a situation similar to hers. Okay. Sure. Okay. I mean, sure. I mean, like, I haven't seen the movie. Call it, saying that the character is another name does not mean that it's not about Amanda Knox. I'm not saying I'm not. It's not the stake I'm putting in the ground. But just because you call a character by another name doesn't mean it's not the same person. Um, like that. That that that's is a is a bit. It, of a weak it doesn't mean today. that in all cases, but it does in this case. Like sure, and opinion. that is a more fleshed out argument than just saying because it has a different name. But I'll have a different opinion, I'm sure, or a more fleshed out opinion once I see the movie. I am interested to see the movie. I'm interested in Matt Damon proving me wrong. I am intrigued by the fact that David Ehrlich said this movie is is act one is taken, act two is Paddington, and act three is prisoners, which I thought was a hilarious uh, yeah, <laughs> description of a movie. Prisoners, the, the third act, but yeah, he yeah. he calls it a turducken, which I think is a, yeah. a fair way to describe it because like i said it has a very defined three act structure yeah the three acts are all very different from each other but i feel like the themes and the characters remain strong throughout like it, it's a movie where you will definitely see the flaws it is flaw it is a flawed movie there's no doubt about it yeah. but like when you get to the end like it's kind of undeniable the emotional impact that you know the, spending the two and hours 20 minutes with these characters has had on you like and to me, that's a sign of a successful movie, even if, um, you know, certain elements of it, maybe certain passages of dialogue, again, a twist or two, maybe down the stretch, are a little contrived, don't necessarily work. If mm-hmm. a movie can make you, you know, if a movie can hit you on that emotional level, and like you said, I, like I was almost breathless when the final credits hit, um, that's a more than successful movie, in my opinion. Sure, Absolutely. All right, I will save my Green Knight thoughts for next week because we actually will be talking about the Green Knight on the podcast. But I did see Nine Days earlier today. What a film, Scott. It was on my most anticipated list for this year. It might have even been on my list last year, too. I don't really remember um, because it w- it did debut at Sundance in 2020. It had it features Winston Duke, Zazie Beats, and um, oh, shoot. I'm forgetting his name right now. I was just thinking about him a second ago. I'll get back to it later when I remember it. Um, but the film is just, I mean, it's marvelous. It really, I was, I was about halfway through it and I'm like, I bet like some, some people are going to complain that this movie just could have been a play or whatever. And they, they could have done it that way. It's directed by Edson Oda and it is very much a talkie about philosophy, about real. I mean, there is some religion as a part of it, but more of like an, in a spiritual sense, more than any, you know, re, uh, you know, you know, this is Christianity or this is Judaism or this is Buddhism or like whatever it is. Right. But it is this very spiritual philosophical study of that, that like sort of, I guess almost imagines this world where each person being born um, is selected in this sort of soul selection process where you are awarded the right to be born onto earth um, would be an interesting companion piece, I guess, with, with soul um, actually the, the Pixar movie from last year, but Winston Duke is this person who is interviewing candidates to be allowed to be born. Um, Zashi Beats and several other actors play these um, souls that are candidates for being born. And it, it really is just, I think, just like a deeply moving emotional journey that really studies, you know, 
and asks a lot of questions without very many answers about like what should it take you know what characteristics would allow you to be the most successful human you know what the the best surviving human in the world and i think it's a study ultimately too about you know you're someone in the character of Winston Duke who takes on this responsibility for the people he selects right and follows their lives and takes great pride in their successes and is deeply devastated by, you know, I won't go into any spoilers, but, but some failures and some shortcomings that he views in himself. And I think the movie is ultimately about trying to affect other people um, in a positive way. And, you know, maybe the takeaway is that it's not always about doing your best to affect others, but letting others affect you. Um, It's a really, really moving study. Uh, Probably the best movie I've seen as I would say, actually, definitely the best movie I've seen this year, if you take out some of the movies earlier on in the year that qualified for last year's Oscars, which I think technically are movies from this year, but that'll be a debate we can have at the end of the year when we're deciding yeah. what actually counts and what doesn't count. Um, this film, you know, I just found it really moving. It's, it's just a tick over two hours. I think it's two hours and five minutes. But I was completely captivated by this almost, you know, purgatory-like place, although purgatory implies after after death, and this is before being born. Um, you know, it's, it's very interesting. There isn't, there aren't, there, there are like some members of the supporting cast, like Tony Hale is also someone who plays, um, one of the supporting roles, one of the other souls who are like, uh, as a candidate for being born. But then the main supporting character whose name, um, I was having a really hard time remembering is Benedict Wong, who is like another character in this, in this sort of purgatory like world, um, supernatural world where Winston Duke um, inhabits um, really great performance from him. Did not realize he was British. I don't know if he's like doing a British accent for this movie. I don't know why he would be. Um, so I just have to assume that he is British. Never realized that he like always is doing an American accent in movies. I thought I, I feel like um, Bill Skarsgård is also another man, another guy in the supporting cast, just really strong performances throughout. It is a talkie. If it's not your type of movie, I understand, but um, it, again, it's a really emotionally moving movie. And Winston Duke, Zazie Beats, Benedict Wong. Those are probably the three central performances. Really, really high quality stuff. Yeah, Scott, I really want to see it. Um, I was kind of deciding between, I knew I wanted to see Suicide Squad and Stillwater this weekend. I was kind of deciding between this and Annette for my third movie. Yeah. Um, you picked wrong. Sounds like I ch- I, cho- I did not choose <laughs> wisely, but <laughs> yeah, with that. us not having to see anything new next week, although I would like to rewatch Green Knight between now and then. Well, that's during the week, though, so it's a little different. Sure, but um, but with us not having anything new to to review yeah. for next week, because we are doing Great Night, which we've both seen already, um, I will probably try to make this my my Saturday or my Friday night. Um, Do assuming it. And it's still showing. Yeah. So, looking forward to it. All right, Scott. Where can people find you on Twitter? At Scarby Dent. And I can be found at Shelton two zero one three on Twitter or on Letterboxd. Please also follow our podcast at www.patreon.com slash media plug pods. There are a bunch of different reward tiers over on Patreon that you can check out. If you subscribe and support us, we would really appreciate it. If not, that's okay. You can still find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc., where we'd appreciate if you rated, reviewed, subscribed, shared, all that stuff. We really appreciate all of you for taking time out of your day to listen to us chat about movies, and we'll be back next week with a review, as, as Scott just said, the A24 fantasy epic the Green Knight. Until then, for Scott Harvey, I'm Scott Shelton. We'll see you next time. See you down the road.